Well, I, I think the comment that I have heard um, most frequently since announcing in January that I was retiring was something along the lines of, you're too young to retire. And then I tell them how old I am, and they're like, oh, you're way past your prime. Go ahead, retire. <laughs> Didn't know how old you were. <laughs> Botox kind of helped with that. Uh, yeah. Well, today I finished 43 years of uh, preaching. It actually began in a little country uh, church called the North Galilee Charge near Galpolis. Uh, they were a small uh, church of, of warm-hearted Welshmen who took uh, pity on this seminary student and uh, his pregnant wife and provided a community for us as we uh, got our feet wet and began ministry. It was at that church I, I preached my very uh, most innovative sermon. I preached on the Twelve Commandments. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you're thinking, well, there's only ten. <laughs> Well, I went through the whole sermon preaching the Twelve Commandments, and uh, they were so nice to me and so forgiving. <laughs> after, uh, after that, after graduation, um, we came here as your youth pastor. Uh, I was fortunate and blessed to have uh, Howard Preston and, and Marvin Peterson as my uh, mentors, and uh, they, they really taught me the ropes of how you lead a, a large church. And then we were moved by the bishop to central Ohio to a place we'd never heard of called Green Camp. Never heard of Green Camp, Ohio? Yeah, no, neither had we. <laughs> but the people were, were so loving, so kind, they uh, put up with all of our weird new ideas. And uh, after that, we went to northwest Ohio, to um, Arlington. All right, who's... Hey, Nita and Ray, how are you? Thanks so much for coming today. Uh, Nita um, played piano for us and helped us to start a contemporary uh, worship service. And uh, Ray, um, you really didn't do anything, did you? <laughs> uh, but Ray is one of those guys who could do about anything and uh, was a great uh, prayer support and uh, just a uh, a great person, both of them are. Uh, I got to tell you, though, um, Arlington wasn't quite so sure that first year that I was the right person. A and I remember uh, every Monday morning calling up my superintendent and saying, hey, are there any other churches that might be open? <laughs> but uh, after that first year, uh, we had several families befriend us, and, and uh, we just fell in love uh, with that congregation. We raised our, our daughters there. Um, they had such a love of Scripture, and, and every Sunday they would bring their Bibles and, and just wanted to, to soak it up and learn. And it was there that I really began to hone my skills in, in helping churches through, um, through change. After, New Albany, or after uh, Arlington, we went to New Albany, which was a, a town outside of Columbus. It had been a, a one-traffic light town for generations but because of some wealthy investors, uh, they turned it into one of the fastest growing, one of the most unique communities in, in all of Ohio. And it was there that I really learned the importance of, of welcoming uh, new people into the life of, of faith and into the life of that congregation. But I must tell you that uh, we met in all those churches, uh, so many faithful, um, so many uh, godly people, who had such a, a positive impact 
upon our lives. <laughs> and then in 2003, uh, we returned. In, um, after 20 years, we returned here to be uh, the lead pastor here at Anderson Hills. And as I look back upon what we've been able to do, my heart is full of gratitude uh, for all that we have been able to accomplish. Uh, we started small group ministry. Uh, we added contemporary uh, worship services. We remodeled our sanctuary, Fellowship Hall, our chapel, our offices, children's wing. We purchased the annex. We built a connection center. We raised over a million dollars to dig wells in Zambia, and we sent two groups there. We hosted for years the Global Leadership Summit. We started WizKids uh, tutoring. We added the Salem campus. We started Fresh Expressions. We added live streaming uh, of our services, and we did all of that, and we are debt-free. Isn't that amazing, all that God has done? And so I am so excited about the future here. The leadership transition has gone better than any of us ever dreamed it would. Clearly, God has, has been leading it. After three months, John and, and Jennifer have been warmly welcomed into the life of, of this community and this congregation. And they will bring leadership gifts that will enable this church to be successful in its mission, which is to glorify God and to make disciples for the transformation of the world. And while the pandemic has certainly uh, taken its toll, we are coming out of this crisis strong and unified. Our finances have never been better. How do you explain that? Our facilities are in great shape. We have a talented and devoted staff. We have added uh, great new staff besides John. Kevin Connors, our director of of student ministries, and Rob Cook, our director of facilities, and, and Joe Leonard, our director of technology. Folks, 43 years ago, I never dreamed that we would have a position on church called director of technology, but that's how much that our world has changed. I mean, when I began the ministry, we used mimeograph machines. Do you remember those? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> If you wanted to have a, a hymn or a, a song up on the wall, you had to use an overhead projector. Uh, no church had a computer in the office, and, and the Internet for public use wasn't even a thing. And I wrote my sermons with pen and, and, and paper, and when I wanted to communicate with somebody, I had to get out this thing called a phone directory, and you'd, you'd go through it, and you'd dial the number, literally, you know, with a rotary phone. If you wanted to communicate, man, how things have changed, haven't they? But our small groups are meeting again. Our Salem campus is thriving. Fresh Expressions is meeting for worship. Slowly, people are getting back on Sunday morning. We've been able to reopen our, our 9.30 children's ministry, our 11 o'clock youth ministry. <laughs> for the first time in 16 months, we've got all of our greeters recruited for the month of June. <laughs> That's awesome. And sure, there are still some challenges facing us, but I have no doubt that we'll overcome them. And the reason is because of you. When I ask people what's so special about Anderson Hills, or when, when people ask me the question, I, I tell them, well, it's you, it's the laity. It's our folks here. This church has so many smart, so many talented, so many 
innovative, so many risk-taking leaders. And when there's a challenge, you're ready to jump in and to solve it. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Well, 30 years ago, a movie came out called City Slickers. <laughs> a guy named Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, had forgotten why he's here on earth. He's in the middle of this midlife crisis, and so he's gone on this cattle drive with some friends to try to find himself. And he's alone with this gruff cowboy named Curly, played by Jack Palace, who tells him, you city slickers, you come up here with the same problem. You're all wound too tight. See, there's just one important thing and he holds up his finger. And Billy Crystal says, yeah, and what's that? He said, keep the number one thing, number one. That scene had a big impact on me. I remember going home after that movie and thinking, am I doing that? Am I keeping the number one thing, number one? Well, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, what the number one thing is. Let's hear God's word. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith, listen, might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Every time I came to a new church, this has been the text that I've preached on. And so I thought it was fitting today that this be my text for my last sermon. You see, Paul is reminding the church that when he came to them, he didn't come to them God didn't come to them as a great orator or as an intellect. In fact, just the opposite. He said, I came in weakness and in fear and in trembling. And my message was simple. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's so easy to forget this. It's so easy to forget the number one thing. And lots of churches do. In fact, in 2018, our, our West Ohio Conference, made up of about 1,000 churches, lost 7,000 members. Some 40% of our churches did not record a single profession of faith. 32% of our churches did not celebrate a single baptism. Not one. And yet our founder, John Wesley, said that Methodists have nothing to do but to save souls. But you know, honestly, it, it's easy to forget. E even in the midst of doing great things for God, it's so easy to forget our purpose, to, to forget our, our, the, the reason that God raised this church up 200 years ago and placed you within its membership. And so for the last time, I want to remind us what we are to be about. You see, our purpose is, is not about, it's not given to us by a church council. It's not given to us by a bishop. It's not given to us by a committee. It's been given to us by Jesus Christ himself. In fact, it was his final words 
before he ascended back into heaven when he said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. And so what's our purpose? It's to go and make disciples. And why do we go? Because all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. And so if Jesus is, is Lord of your life, and if he is Lord of the church, then we have a divine summons to go. It's not optional. We did not choose it. Guess what? It chooses us. Jesus did not tell the world to come into the church. Jesus told the church to go into the world. So why do we do it? Why do we go? Why do we tell somebody about Jesus? Why should we care enough to tell the people around us about how to get to heaven? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For the love of Christ compels us. There it is. It's love. Our love for Jesus motivates us to fulfill our mission. See, the truth is that, is that everybody matters to God. God never made a person that, that he didn't love. God's made some people that I don't love. God has made some people that I don't even like. But God loves them all. The most despicable person that you can imagine is still loved by God. And because God cares, guess what? You and I, we have to care as well. You see, people are changed by love. Society is changed one life at a time. And God has put specific people into your life that he expects you to share the good news with. You are the only Christian that some people know. And if we don't tell them, well, who will? If one of my kids was in a, a burning building, I, I wouldn't care how hot the fire was. I, I'd go in after them. I wouldn't care if I got hurt. I, I wouldn't care if people called me crazy. I, I'd still go in. I'd, I'd grab my child and I'd bring them out and people would say, how, how brave you are. No, I wasn't brave. No, I wasn't crazy. I was simply motivated by what? By love. And when we finally love our friends and our family members enough, we'll have the courage to tell them about Jesus. You see, it's not like we're trying to, to sell them swampland in Florida. We're telling them the greatest news in the world about forgiveness of the past, about power and, and purpose in the present, and about a future in heaven. We can't get that deal anywhere else. And so love is our motivation. Love is why we do it. So how do we do it? Well, first of all, we have to live it, don't we? And that's a huge responsibility. I would hate it if somebody said, well, I, I've seen how Mark Rowland lives his life, and if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want anything to do with it. How would I explain that before God? You see, people are watching the way we live. Your boss, your neighbors, your employees, your relatives, your children, they're watching your words, they're watching your actions, they're watching how you treat others, and that's an awesome responsibility, I know. And I haven't always done a great job, and there's been lots of times I have failed. And when I do, I want to be honest, I want to be transparent about it. I want to, you know, I want to admit my weaknesses. I don't want to pretend to be something that I'm not. Truth is, it's becoming more and more difficult to talk to people about matters of faith. I know people, and I know that you do too, who, who don't want to hear anything about God at all. And so 
All I can do is to witness to them to live my life in such a way that it honors God. And not only is that true for you and me, it's, it's true for the church as well. Methodist author Maxie Dunham writes this. He says, I'm coming to believe about fellowship and belonging, that a congregation in our world is to be an evangelist in the world, showing them what they are missing. And what I mean by that is that what goes on in a congregation inside of a church draws people to Christ. That is that relationships are so healthy and so attractive that those who are outside the kingdom want to be a part of it, like the folks at church. And that's why I see here at Anderson Hills almost every Sunday that when new people walk in, they experience this as a, as a caring and loving and warm and, and winsome place, and they want to be a part of it. And they may not have all of their theology exactly right. They may not even yet be convinced of the claims of Christ, but they see something that's so compelling in our lives that they want to be a part of it. And I know this is true because they tell me. Every Sunday morning when I come into this building, I pray for that. I, I walk through the hallways. I, I pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be there so that when, when, when visitors and guests walk into our building, they feel the presence of God and they encounter the love of God. That's what happened in the early church. Listen to what Luke writes about it in, in Acts chapter 2. He says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see what was happening? They had gathered into a community of faith to hear the apostolic teaching and to experience deep and intimate fellowship where they cared for each other in the, in the ups and downs of life. There was a sense of the supernatural as, as signs and, and wonders were performed performed and people were being healed. They sold their belongings and gave to those who were in need and, and worship was the core. Worship was at the heart of, of this Jesus movement. Luke records that they were in the temple daily praising and giving thanks to God. And as a result, they had the favor of all of the community, so much so that people were coming to faith on a daily basis. People looked at the love the Christians had and they wanted to be a part of it. So the way that we live our lives can make an eternal difference. We need to ask ourselves, what, what kind of contribution am I making to this world? Am I leaving a mark on, on somebody's life that will make a positive difference? And when God asks me to take a risk, do I play it safe? Or do I choose to trust and to obey? Jesus has given you and me this incredibly important role in his mission. He's given you and I the opportunity to, to actually impact our friends, our, our family, our, our neighbors, our relatives, our, our co-workers with a, a message that can literally rewrite their life and make an eternal difference. I mean, what could be more exciting and fulfilling and challenging than that? 
to live our lives in such a way that other people take notice of God in our lives. But not only do we need to live our faith, we also have to share our faith. Again, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4, he says, Make the most of your chances to tell others the good news. Now, you've heard it say, walk the talk. Paul here is saying, talk the walk. <laughs> and I think one of the most compelling ways to do that is to simply share with people what God is doing in your life. There's a wonderful story in, in John's Gospel, chapter 9. A man born blind encounters Jesus and, and is healed. And the religious leaders begin to interrogate him. They want him to denounce Jesus and, and to call him a fraud, but uh, the man won't do it. He, he knows that Jesus has forever changed his life, and they really begin to put the pressure upon him until he says, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I do not know. I, I don't have the answer to all of your theology questions, but what I know is this, that once I was blind, and now I see. And they have no reply to that. They cannot refute them. I, I saw the power of that back in college. My pastor in, invited us to go along with him on what was called a lay witness mission. About a half a dozen of us college students, we loaded up in a, in a Volkswagen van and we left for the weekend. I, I don't recall the church. I'm not even sure the town. I think maybe it was in Zanesville. But each night we would sing and pray and then we would simply share our stories of faith. Unrehearsed, unrefined, nervous and trembling. And yet somehow God would use our, our little stories in a marvelous way that impacted our hearers' lives. That Some of them making their own decisions for Christ. I saw firsthand the power of sharing our story. Now, maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I don't have a story. Oh, you do. And especially if you're a Christ follower, you have a story. But no one would like to hear my story. It's not that interesting. Now, Pastor, if I had, if I had an experience like the blind man, well, man, I could, I could write a book. I could go speak around the country and on television and speak at conferences. That'd be really cool. Well, the thing is, is that few of us have such a dramatic story as that blind man. Besides, how many people can relate to that? See, the reason that we share our story is so the other person becomes aware of what God has done for you, and they begin to think, gosh, if God can do that in that person's life, then maybe he can do something with me. If that's true for you, then maybe it can be true for me as well. See, I think what people are dying to hear is authentic stories of personal and spiritual experiences, of longing to find meaning in life, stories of hope in the midst of distress where God has enabled you to hold fast when you felt like giving up. They want to know that they're not alone in this universe, that there is a God who will be with them in their pain and in their joy. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you shared your story? And think about how you're living your life. Are you living it in such a loving fashion that people know that there's something different about you? In a good way, of course. Think about how you can make this a church where people, where people will want to come. What can you personally do to make this a caring fellowship of true believers? Choose somebody that God has put into your life. Begin to pray for them. 
Look for opportunities to invite them on a Sunday morning or to fresh expressions. Even if the opportunity arises, share with them what God has done in your life. One person telling another person how to find God. Let's never forget why we exist. Let's keep the number one thing number one. Well, my friends, uh, Anderson Hills has certainly become the church of my dreams. And I believe that God has even bigger dreams for this church as John and, uh, and Jennifer come alongside to serve as our new leader. I'm so very grateful that God placed us here to serve with you for so many years. Thank you so very, very much for all of your, your kind words and, um, and all the well wishes that you have sent. We will never, ever forget our 18 years here with you. 